The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. There came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled their hearts with Ephesians, a real proof text passage, uh, chapter 5, verse 25 and 30. Sometimes people mark in their Bibles uh, where I've preached, what passages I've preached on, and they sometimes get concerned if I preach on a passage. I have a computer that has all 1,500 plus sermons I have, where they've done, been, there are five different criteria, and I always go back and look what I've done on an area when God moves me to preach. But oftentimes I'll preach the same verse, three different sermons, uh, three different angles of the same verse, three different truths that are found in that one verse. So sometimes one verse will have four or five major truths, can't do them in one sermon. And so you'll do a sermon on one and a sermon on another and a sermon on another and a sermon on another. And even if I would preach again that same concept, it often would have a new illustrations and new... You know why? Because I'm new. I'm new. Yeah, I'm new every, every day. The grace of God is mercy of God is new every morning, and I'm new every morning and growing, and hopefully becoming more like Christ as time goes on. This passage in Ephesians chapter 5 is a proof text for Jesus Christ in the church. Now, I use this passage when I wed folks uh, and do my hour and a half sermon in their wedding. Uh, there was a, there was a uh, somebody you know, told me of a wedding that happened, and the, the guy preached 45 minutes in the wedding. Now, usually when you have a wedding... The bride and the groom are fairly nervous, and, and they want to kind of get the wedding done. Let's go out and forget the pictures. Let's, let's leave, you know. And, but nevertheless, um, to have a 45-minute sermon in the middle of that is, is, is tough, no doubt, on, on the groom especially. And so uh, I usually try to preach about 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And uh, this is the passage I often will go in. But I, I, I don't, absolutely do not preach on this truth. Uh, I preach on another truth about the relationship of you and Jesus as to a husband is to his wife. <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about something that just tweaked me. About three or four weeks ago, I preached a sermon through the book of Acts. I went through the whole book of Acts, and I pointed out uh, the various troubles that the people had in the first, it's about the first 65 years of the church. The book of Acts, the action of the apostles is called. The book of Acts kind of records about 65 years of the first early church and what they did and how they were how they were treated. 
And most of you who read the book of Acts know that those dear folks uh, had a rough road to hoe. There's also a Hollywood version of the Bible. Now, you know those two words don't go together, Hollywood and Bible. But there's a Hollywood version of the Bible going on from 9 to 10 o'clock every Sunday. How many here have seen it? Raise your hand. Yeah, I've seen it. I've tried to actually watch it because I want to find out what, you know, what they're doing. But I have to say some of what they're doing is great. I mean, a lot of what they're doing is horrible, but some of what they're doing is great. One of the things that impacted me by watching that when I get home from Wendy's in time is they are not toning down the, the abuse of the apostles, the, the way they got treated, and the beating and the whipping they got. And they got some whippings, brother, that you and I have never had. Nobody in this room has had a whipping like Peter and those people got. Nobody. Because nobody nobody's allowed legally to get a whipping like that anymore. Nobody legally can beat you. Unless you I think it's in Taiwan or Singapore, so one of them, they rod you over there. And woo! You don't want to go visit that place because you get in trouble. That's something I never... I watched a little bit of that on video. I had to turn it off. I said, I can't watch this guy getting beat anymore. It was just unbelievable. And so... But you did know, one thing that got me in the Spirit of God came and whispered to me a little bit as I'm looking through that, as I'm reading through the book of Acts, and I preached at it a couple of weeks ago, I thought, man, 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 Lord, Jesus, that's your people. That's your sweet thing. That's the folks who love you. That's the ones who put faith in you. You're the God of all that is. This must be in your will. Or it wouldn't happen in the big picture. And so, hence comes this passage um, in, in chapter, actually verse 29, I'll read it in a moment. The world has a lot of misinformation about a whole lot of stuff. You don't get on the internet very much without realizing that there is a mass of false information. I mean, in, not just about uh, churches and people and and there's stuff that's on about me on there. They, they've nailed me on all kinds of stuff and accused me of being all kinds of ways that I'm not. And, and if to know me, you know, they would love me. It's like Brother Cronin. To know him is to love him, right, Peaches? Right, that's right, that's right. So, but I mean, there's misinformation about everything. Uh, doctors are going crazy right now because patients can get on the web and they start being their own doctor on misinformation. And they don't understand the big picture and don't understand some of the stuff. And I've done the same thing. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a licensed veterinarian by my own licensing. I'm a licensed medical doctor by my own license, Dr. Quack. I mean, you can get on a, you can get on a web, type something in, Google it, boom. There's about 20, you know, you know, everybody, Cleveland Clinic and Mayo talks about it and all these institutions will talk about it. Pretty soon you're self-educating and everything else. But it can also create wild trouble. Because it's harder to take somebody with misinformation and move them to the correct information as it is to take somebody who doesn't know anything about something and tell them the truth. Do you understand how that is? The distance is less. And so what happens is in the medical field and every other field and my and the field of Christianity here in preaching, how many false preachers are on TV? How many false preachers are on the Internet? How much false teachings on the Internet? We've had people in this congregation become a victim. They're not here today, but they become a victim of false teaching on the web and eventually got to a place where they said they don't want to come here anymore because they don't believe we're teaching the truth anymore. 
I'll say, you don't know this guy. You don't know what he's doing over the week. You know me. You, you got, I have a history of me. There's credibility and all witnesses and everything else. You don't even know this guy, and yet you believe him? What is wrong with you? But they do. It's the way it is. And the world has tremendously twisted the word love. And, and, and it, it is being defined uh, wrongly in many ways. Uh, the world defines it with an emphasis on the emotions and the warm and fuzzy part of them, but not biblically for sure. Love is rarely defined the way the old Bible defines it, and it's rarely defined, if I may say, the way the old World War II generation defined it. In fact, at the core of child behavior problems in America today is the lack of, a, of an accurate definition of love. The old World War II boys had a biblical and consequently an accurate definition of love. They called it tough love. Amen. How many were raised under tough love? Raise your hand. Look at all them. The system has been defining and banning this philosophy of tough love for decades. There is a literal conspiracy, if you want to say it there, a plan to try to change biblical definitions of truth. The public system in this county used to spank their children in public school Till recently, and I don't know if you know that, it wasn't long ago, maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago, that Lee County finally took spanking off of the books. Now, we have some teacher, we have a teacher specifically, and I've known other teachers that taught in public school. The last one was Wendy Rudder, which just finished four years of public school and then came here and taught with us last year. And she, she tells, I set her down in my office and have her tell me this situation in public school. It makes your hair stand up. Makes your hair stand up. I mean, I can't even believe that we in America have allowed our children to take over. But they own the classroom in, public, in the public system. Now, I know from learning that you have to develop an atmosphere of discipline to learn. It, not everybody, it can't be a free-for-all, everybody doing their own thing, everybody talking. Look at here. We're in an atmosphere of learning right here. You come in, you, you, you're, you can't talk while I'm talking, you can't stand up and run around the room, you can't do your iPads, play your candy game, video games, or, or watch your football games on your because that's not an atmosphere of learning. So we ask you, please, don't play games while the preacher's preaching. Uh, we ask you, please, don't talk while the preachers talk. Except saying, amen, glory to God, hallelujah, like sick him to a dog. But otherwise, there are certain rules, certain common sense things. The public system used to spank problem children in school. I noticed you won't have a hard time, some of you younger people believe in this, without parental knowledge or permission. Woo, doggy! That is jail today. When I was bad in school, and I know it's hard to believe, when I was bad in school, the old teacher would take me by the, by the nap of the neck, and she'd run me, or he'd run me up to the front of the room. They had a desk, throw me over the thing, and they'd take a paddle, and that paddle was one half inch thick, oak, usually white oak, well cured, and have some of them, they drill holes in it. Now, what did they do that for? Pow! 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 
three times in honor of the Holy Trinity. I couldn't figure out why it was always three. She put me in the, he put me in the corner on my tiptoes with my nose up on some point in the board until you were so tired, your legs cramped up, and you get back down. Why? Well, we get hard these three hard swaths. Um, and if you didn't comply, by the way, all of that was without knowledge of mom and dad. Absolutely no knowledge. And they didn't feel any responsibility to tell mom and dad. And I didn't want them to. Glory to God. I didn't want them to tell mom and dad. Are you guys all right? Call 911 if not. Uh, if, if, if Well, here's a doctor right there. But if... After I got my whip, and I'd say, please, please don't tell my dad. Now, you're not going to tell my dad and mom, are you? You ain't going to tell my dad and mom. I got a trip today. It's like, well, I have to tell mom and dad because I go to jail if I don't tell mom and dad. Mom and dad got to And the mom and dad, instead of taking that kid that just got in trouble at school and causing that kid to get a double portion of what they got at school, they come to school and challenge the principal and challenge the, t- the administration and challenge the teacher and basically say, you don't like my kid because my kid got in trouble. No, your kid got in trouble because your kid was out of order and was wrecking the ruin for the rest of the kids, and we put him back in order. There's a misinformation and misdefinition of biblical love. My parents understood that the school system loved me to the place where they would spank me, to the place where I would obey to the place I wouldn't go to jail someday, amen? Because the bottom line is, if I won't obey them, I won't obey the policeman down the road, I won't obey the government, and you know what the government does with people who don't obey? They throw them in a cell worse than an animal. Big screen TV, weight room, and games, and things like that, I know. Give them a law degree, and a couple other things. By the way, this, this was not looked on years ago as mean or uncaring or cruel or self-image damaging. Boy, one time I had a kid in school, and I was teaching chapel, and the kid wouldn't shut up, wouldn't be quiet, wouldn't be quiet. And I finally said to the kid, you come up here and teach, and I'll sit down. I, I, the kid came up forward, I went and sat down, and we all sat there and said, say something. Oh, you don't have anything to say anymore, huh? You want to be quiet now, huh? No, you, said, you say something. And I don't have anything to say. I said, you say something, because we're here to listen. Because evidently you don't want to listen. And so finally the kid says, sound everything. I get a call. Mom says, you have damaged the self-image of my child. And he, that child will probably never get over it. I said, you're probably right. After you just reinforced that, you just handicapped your child. You just made your child a victim. That is not biblical love. When you do that as a parent or as any system, our system today is completely out of control. I hope you young people do not buy into the fact that they're right. They are dead wrong. They are destroying our children. And they will destroy your children for any amount of good for anybody if they don't learn what tough love is about. Because I'm going to tell you this, God isn't going to be swayed on the way he treats people. He's going to do it the way he feels is best for them. Um, We have to have tough love if we want to survive spiritually. We have to have tough love if, if, if by the grace of God, my mother 
used to say, uh, when they would spank me and when they would discipline me, they'd say, I, want you, I don't want you to do them drugs. I don't want you to go to jail. I don't want you to drink alcohol. You need to be obedient to authorities. Praise God for parents. If they were here, I'd give them a big hug and a kiss this morning. Thank you, Dad, for caring. Thank you, Chris, for caring about you. Amen. You were the first ones. So you got experimented on. I was the baby. They knew what they were doing. In reading through the book of Acts, I said, and preaching recently, it hit me. God's definite love for us is different than what even we will define it. And by the end of this sermon, you'll, you'll see it. Ephesians chapter 5, let's read it. Verse 25, husbands, husbands, love. Now, this is the love the Bible defines. This is the tough love I'm talking about. This isn't the warm and fuzzy, even though that's part of love. Husbands, love your wives comparatively, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and to cleanse it, washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, but it should be what? Holy and without blemish. What a picture. So ought men to love their, own, to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his, his wife loveth himself. And here's the text verse. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. You can argue with that all you want. That's the Bible. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But look what he does. But nourisheth, that's to rear up to maturity, and cherisheth, that means like a hen brooding overtakes care of it, in other words. He, he, he helps it to prosper and to grow. He nourisheth and cherisheth it. And here's what will knock your socks off, is this next phrase, even as the Lord, the church. What? For we are members of his body and his flesh and his bones. Wait a minute, mister. Catch that phrase. Even as the Lord, the church. How does God treat the church then? If, if it's even as the Lord treats the church, how does... How does he treat his wife? Because that's what we are as in the body of Christ. We're God's Christ's wife, his glorious church, his spotless church, his wrinkle-free church, his holy church, his blemishless church, his nourished church, his cherished church. Let me start with Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Acts chapter 6 and 7, Stephen defended before the Sanhedrin, Jesus Christ and the belief in Christ. Eventually applied the sermon like any good old fundamental Baptist would at the end. Said, you have killed the very Christ that came to save you. He said a little much more blunt than that. The Bible says, pick up in verse 58, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name is Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That was Stephen calling. And he kneeled down, and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How about James chapter 12? When Herod took James, that was the brother of John, that was one of the sons of thunder, in Acts chapter 12, and now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand, he vexed certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. What? Even as the Lord the church. Husbands, love your wives. Even as the Lord loves the church. Stephen was of the church. He was stoned to death. J James, apostle, 
chosen, but Jesus trained three and a half years. What was his destiny? To be beheaded for, for Christ. I looked in a book called uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. How many here own a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs? Fox's, everybody ought to have at least three books. Strong's Concordance, Fox's Book of Martyrs, four books, Pilgrim's Progress, and the King James Bible. Okay? Pilgrim's Progress, Fox's Martyrs, Strong's Concordance, King James Bible. That's your library. You can live on that. Fox's Book of Martyrs has done a job where God moved in this man to go and record historically how people of the church, the body of Christ, have been treated through the centuries. I started out at the very beginning of the book, and let me quickly list you the apostles and the early Christians that were chosen by Jesus. Just a few of them here. I'll do it as quickly as I can. We'll start with Philip, the evangelist. He labored diligently in Upper Asia, according to secular history, and suffered martyrdom at Hierapolis uh, in Phrygia. And he was scourged, thrown into prison, prison, and then afterwards crucified in A.D. 54, even as Christ the church. Matthew, apostle, former tax gatherer, born in Nazareth, said to have written the gospel of, of, of after his name, Matthew, in Hebrew, which was afterward translated into Greek by James the Less, uh, labored in Ethiopia where he died being slain with a halberd, that is a spear and a battle axe, that was A.D. and 60, even as Christ the church. James the Less, which was the pastor, by the way, of the city of Jerusalem. In 94, he lived to be 94, was then, then taken out, beaten, stoned by the Jews, his brains dashed out with a fuller's club, even as Christ, the church. Matthias, the one that was chosen, remember, in the place of Judas at the beginning of the book of Acts there. Matthias, was filled, who filled the vacancy of Judas, was stoned at Jerusalem, then beheaded, even as Christ, the church. Andrew, the brother of Peter, preached in Asia and was crucified on a cross with two ends which were fixed transversely in the ground. Hence the term St. Andrew's cross, even as Christ the church. St. Mark, the writer of the book after his name, uh, was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria, ending his life under the mer their merciless hands. This is right out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Even as Christ the church. Peter, the apostle, crucified upside down in Rome, even as Christ, the church. Paul, eventually in Rome, uh, by secular history, was taken out and beheaded, even as Christ, the church. Jude, uh, called Thaddeus, crucified in Edessa in AD, AD 72, even as Christ, the church. Bartholomew, credited with translating the Gospel of Matthew into the language of India, was cruelly beaten and then crucified, even as Christ, the church. Thomas, preached in Parthia, India, killed by being thrust through with a spear, even as Christ the church. Luke, written wrote, wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, was hanged on an olive tree, even as Christ the church. Simon, uh, surnamed Zelotes, uh, preached in the gospel in Africa, and possibly even Britain, where he was crucified in AD 74, even as as Christ, the church, John, the beloved apostle. And this is an exception. Brother to the James, who was killed early in Acts 12, according to history, he was only apostle to have escaped violent death. Remember Barnabas? Barnabas died in A.D. 73 through persecution, even as Christ, the church. 
No man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourish and cherish it, even as Christ, the church. All I can say, his definition and my definition are about this far apart. How about yours? I don't don't define nourish and cherish like Jesus defines nourish and cherish. So there's got to be a gap. What, by the way, that's not the end of it. If you, you keep reading the folks, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs there, it goes on to explain that from 67 A.D. in Nero's time, at the beginning of the real serious persecution of Rome, all the way to 303 at Diocletian, there were 10 major seasons of persecution against Christians during that period of 300 years where the the average Christian paid for what he said he believed with his blood. Even as Christ, the church. I got to ask a question. Is this any way to treat your wife? Is this any way to treat your wife? You understand, we're the bride of Christ. We love to say that, don't we? I'm part of the bride of Christ, brother. Oh, we don't mind talking about how that he goeth to prepare us a place for us. And if he goeth and prepares a place for us, he'll come again, receive you unto himself. We love to talk about heaven. We love to talk about what's on the other side of death. We love to talk about God loves us. But we are we talking of the same defined words as he's talking about? All I can say from the history that I've read secularly as well as biblically, there is a gap in what he defines as love and as nourishing and as cherishing than what I define as it. But it is explainable. The problem with us in the U.S. and the problem we're having here this morning with this message is that we have been living in an abnormal bubble for about 200 years in the United States without or almost no persecution. What we're living in and what we have lived in uh, since the pilgrims came over and were eventually broke free from Britain and allowed freedom of religion without persecution is an abnormal historical bubble. Say amen. You know, you that know history? Now, that doesn't mean Christians outside the United States are not being persecuted, because indeed they're being persecuted in Russia, they're being persecuted in the Arab-speaking countries, they're being killed in Africa at this very moment, they're being driven out of their houses. That is normal history for the Christian. What we're living in here is an abnormal bubble of peace that God in His mercy set up around the United States and really Europe. For the last couple hundred years. After the persecution of the pilgrims. But how did the pilgrims get here? Because God was loving them and nourishing them and cherishing them. And they were under persecution. And their properties were being taken away from them. Some of them being killed, stoned, racked, and every other kind of thing. Through the Spanish Inquisition in the 1600s. Woo! There's a big old section in in, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs about the Spanish Inquisition. And what the Catholic Church did to people who loved Jesus. But what was... For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherish it, even as Christ the church. I 
I don't think that you and I are going to be able to point a finger at Jesus and say you didn't take care of your bride well. I don't think we're going to be able to do that. Because we've not been persecuted, we don't get it. We don't get that we live to die. We don't get what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 8, where it says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Look at this, this. I've suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dumb. Woo! That I may win Christ. Those words don't have the same definition because we're not in the same environment, are we? None of us in this room have lost our properties or our children or our jobs or our health or our life. We have rarely even been made uncomfortable for Jesus. When I ask people to go door to door, their biggest complaint is that people treated them rudely. Compare that to the people before us, and they're going to mock you when you go to heaven. And we've accepted abnormal for normal. Let me say this. Health and wealth gospel should never prosper. It should never prosper. To people who know the Bible, health and wealth gospel should never prosper. When Jim Baker started preaching, God wants you wealthy and God wants you healthy, they should have laughed him out of the, out of the TV studio. But when he finally built that, that, that candy land or theme park for Jesus and took all them widows' money with MasterCard and all this other stuff, and they finally put the guy in jail, another guy came right in. In fact, two, three people came up in his place. Joseph Prince, Joel Osteen, they're all pre preaching the same thing. God wants you healthy. God wants you wealthy. God wants you good. All, they're not reading the same book I'm reading. They're not reading the same historical account of the treatment of the church that I read. Man, we need to start saying, I believe, I'll, I'm willing to give the loss of all things. I'm crucified with Christ. Does God love His church? I, ask, I pose that to you this morning. Does God love His church? I can tell you, He don't love them the way we think. Do the phrases in Ephesians 5 mean what they say? That it's a glorious church, a spotless church, a wrinkle-free church, a holy church, a blemishless church, a nourished church, a cherished church? All you can say is, yes, they do. Yes, they do. But God is looking towards eternity with you. The world says, now is what's important. God says, that's what's important. God says if you need to be otherworld-minded, you need to be dead in this world, given everything up in this world by if, if I so want. Now look, I don't think anybody, I don't think any of them guys that were persecuted in the first century were looking for trouble. Paul got let down the basket in Damascus because he's trying to get out of trouble. He left. Every time they could move, they leave. They would leave. They didn't want to die for Jesus. They wanted to live for Jesus. But God overrode them, eventually causing them to die for his name. Bob Jones years ago made a movie called Flame in the Wind. And what it was about was a, somebody being burned at the stake 
And he said, my death will be as a flame in the wind to spread Christianity. And it was the fact that these people were willing to die for Jesus, that it was so valuable, so real, that they were willing to lay their lives down, that spread it. It went everywhere. It went everywhere. God is looking for spiritual fruit. The world's not. God's looking to transform your mind into his mind. The world's not. The world looks at that like abuse. If you think you should miss pain and suffering, you're going to get bitter at God if he brings pain and suffering in your life. See, when I read this, and when I prepared this, it prepared me for whatever God would have in store for me in this life. It's okay. You with me? If I look at history and I see the way the early disciples and early apostles were, were treated by the grace of God, and I see the way that they were abused and misused, and I study that, and I look at the book of Acts, I'm saying, Lord Jesus, there's nothing you're going to do to me that's going to make me bitter at you. Because otherwise, if you think health and wealth is the right way, then when God takes your kid or God causes your property to be confiscated, by the way, there is a storm coming. What's going on politically is the thunder and the lightning. But the storm has not come yet. But when the homosexuals get deep enough and get rights enough and get the law on their side, and this decision coming up in June with the Supreme Court's going to, a whole lot what's going to happen. Brother, they are going to come to us and say, you people are discriminating against us and taking our rights away. Consequently, we're going to take you away. Persecution? Is God the Holy Spirit moving me to do this to get you ready for persecution? Are you going to be the generation out of almost 200 years that begins to go back to the historical model? The process of getting his bride ready for his coming is not a natural process. It is a spiritual process. How will you react to God's preparation in your life? Will you give thanks in everything? Oh, we that have been, we have been so coddled and so spoiled. I'm including myself in this as, as a Christian. Uh, we, we suffer a little bit. We want to whine, and, and we get a little bit of a problem. But when God begins to come in and try to form you and get you ready for heaven, the way he nourishes and cherishes his church You say, Lord, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God according to... This is the will of God. This is the will of God. Nothing can hurt you at that point. They can take anything, everything away from you. Take your health away from you. Take your mind away from you. If you take your mind away from you, it won't even bother you. Or will you think, if bad things happen to you, that you're being mistreated? Man, I can't even stand among the early Christians. I'd be ashamed to even stand in their presence. I don't want to suffer. But I do want God to love me the way He loved them. And that's tough love. And that's biblical. Father, help us to get it this morning.
Help us understand the teaching of tough love. Father, use these words spoken, the Word of God read, to be able to help us to understand that God has a process of maturing His people, that He uses us sometimes as literally torches, as flames in the wind, to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day. He says, follow me. He meant follow me, all right. Follow me to the cross. Follow me to the ignominy. Follow me to the shame. Follow me. Help us, Lord, not to back off. The Bible says, He that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy to be called my disciple. Not even worthy to be called a disciple. Help us to put our hands on the plow and not look back. Help us to be willing by the grace of God to suffer shame for Jesus' sake. Help us to be bold as a lion among the people we minister with and to. Lord God, help us to be loved like you love the rest of your church. Forgive us, cleanse us, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Her soul.